Fulhamish is back for the season by Ladbrokes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. Hello and welcome to Fulhamish Extra, your extra dosage of Fulham FC content. My name's Sammy James, here with Ben Jarman. Hi Sammy. And Jack Collins Hello as well. listeners. So today we're going to be previewing Burnley and also there's going to be a good section towards the end of this episode about ticket prices. We had a great debate about it on Monday when Don was also here on the podcast. Uh, but today it's not really our opinion, it's more others' opinions. So we're going to be speaking to two fans who are on you know, either side of the debate. We're also going to be speaking to Archie Rintut, who uh, is a friend of the pod. Uh, he's newly part of the Fulham Supporters Trust. Uh, he's also lives and works and talks about German football and knows lots about fan culture and ticket prices over there, which is kind of hailed as the model for the pricing of uh, football games. And, and it'd be interesting to get his opinion. Just to say that this season, Fulhamish is backed by Ladbrokes. Uh, for exclusive specials and promotions, head to bets.fulhamish.co.uk. So before we speak to Natalie Bromley from No Nay Never Podcast, who's going to give us a bit of an opposition uh, thoughts on our game on Bank Holiday Sunday, uh, which has completely ruined Jack Collins' carnival plans. It really has. I'm really not pleased. I love carnival. Carnival's my my favourite weekend of the year. And now now Fulham is bang in the middle of it. And now you have to go watch Chris Wood. I don't even sell Chris Wood. (laughs) Okay. You'll miss carnival for Chris Wood. Chris Wood is a very, very good footballer. Um... It's an interesting time to be facing Burnley. Obviously, they're, you know, loving Europe, as they should be. You know, fair play to Burnley. They got there. They finished seventh last year. They've already played a million games, it feels like, already. (laughs) Um, And they've kind of got one uh, more test if they are to reach the hallowed turf of the group stages. Uh, And they play Olympiakos on Thursday night in Greece. We don't know what the result of that's going to be. But it's clearly going to have an outcome on the game, Ben, on Sunday. They've played two Premier League games so far. Drew nil nil with Southampton on the opening day I thought Burnley were a bit unlucky not to win that uh, yeah, Alex McCarthy was inspired in goal uh, lost 3-1 at home to Watford on Sunday but this this European game is going to have an effect on things I think their focus may well be on that European tie but there's no way that we can actually count Burnley out of getting a good result against us uh, despite their sort of lacklustre um, performance against Watford who Watford I think could be dark horses this year they look to have turned the corner a little bit I think Burnley still possess a huge threat and there's one up front in particular called Chris Wood who I think we have to be pretty um, pretty aware of and we'll have to keep him shackled otherwise he's a, he's a huge threat to us mm. um, he can quite easily score you know a hatful of goals this season and he wouldn't mind bagging a couple past us and he scored I think it was 11 last season he was out for most of the first half so there's certainly danger there I mean, this is a side that kept over 15 clean sheets last season, Jack. They're very well drilled. We know what Sean Dyche sides are like. So it's going to be difficult for Fulham to break them down. And the last time we faced a very well drilled side in Crystal Palace, we kind of struggled with that. Yeah, you'd imagine that Burnley will employ even lower block than Crystal Palace did. You you know, very much going to see a team coming for not necessarily a point, but they're going to be coming to keep the score to a minimum and try and nick one I would imagine we're going to have the majority of the players well aren't we Burnley aren't, Burnley aren't coming here to play There's not, and that's not an insult or, or any of those things it's just how Sean Dice sets up he, he's very rigid in his model and it works defensively they're very very solid you know albeit had a minor lapse at Watford this weekend but you know they they conceded three quite good goals. It wasn't you know it's not like they make mistakes. And if Fulham are to break them down, we're going to need to be you know on form, on song, and have those kind of link players really making moves in the middle in order to get find those yeah. gaps. That, that pass that, that you say uh, about Watford's from Abdullah Decore into, into I think it's Dini is absolutely phenomenal. And you know it's it's passes like that that will, will obviously put a clean sheet to rest. But I think you make a great point. You know the three in the middle needs to be passing and moving all the way throughout. Uh, the game to really wear out the central midfielders of Burnley I think they still play a 4-4-2 system so if we put three in the middle of a park we could feasibly outnumber them I think the one thing where they don't match up so much against Palace is their raw pace um, if you look at it in wide areas they haven't got abundance of pace maybe Robbie Brady's probably the only one out there that, that you would say and he's injured yeah so Lennon yeah very good point Aaron Lennon but used to be fast yeah, but I he's mean, still like you could probably still beat me in a race. Yeah, I mean, I think the physicality there may slightly overrule Aaron Lennon, but he's always going to hit the byline. He's always going to put a ball in, and I think we do have to also be 
careful not necessarily of the pace but of the guile and the know-how of uh, Johan Goodmanson who so also loves coming in at the back post and scoring those little tapping goals and he did so uh, once against Liverpool last season uh, and uh, on a number of other occasions City, yeah, City. City. he's a City's very very good player Goodmanson and you know Burnley's most dangerous player I would suggest by, by some distance because of the nature of his game he's not flashy he's not you know a particularly you know overindulgent player but he gets the job done and he's very very good at popping up where he's needed so is the key here to keep going left to right side to side trying to open up Burnley trying to find a gap expose them because you know with their exploits on Thursday they'll be flying back you'd imagine late Thursday night into Friday morning potentially straight to London you you would protect you you would wonder uh, but that's not ideal preparation a, a late night in Athens uh, coming into the Fulham game so they're going to be tired and and throughout the game they're going to wear as it goes on so Fulham might have to just show some patience yeah I think so you know you always have to be patient against a team you think are going to wear out but you know also if Burnley go to Athens and get a good result they'll be buzzing off the back of that so we've got to be wary yes it can go in our favor in terms of tiredness but you know if they get on a bit of a a high after a good result in Athens then they will carry that into the Fulham game and they will come out you know fighting and, and I think that you know whatever you say about Sean Dyche and you know he's not a manager that I particularly you know admire in terms of his you know the way he plays football but he gets results and and you have to kind of admire what he's done with a Burnley team and they're stubborn they're hard to beat and and you know that's maybe doing them a little bit of a disservice they do have creative players in there who are you know are talented footballers and and they will come out and, and they will try and play football. And I don't think that they will, you know, I, I don't think that they're going to be an expansive unit, but they will, they will, they're not going to, you know, roll over and lie down either. And after the Watford game, it potentially wasn't the best result for us, that 3-1 to Watford, because if we thought some complacency in the middle of a Europa, Europa League tie might creep in, I think the fact that they kind of got a little bit humbled by what a Watford side that never score away from home on Saturday at Turf Moor just might give them a little bit more determination and also a bit of a, a bit of realism that yeah you can have some fun in the Europa League but Premier League's bread and butter and if we don't start winning games we could actually be in a relegation scrap before they know yeah it's definitely the case I've, uh, like I say I think they're probably they will probably focus a little bit more on Premier League than they will Europa League but one thing you have to realise is that they played extra time against Besiktas here um, on Thursday night it was a long game and it's a tough game they came second in the, in the uh, Turkish Super League last year they're a good side they're very well drilled and they've got a lot of quality in there and uh, it's no easy feat to just you know sweep them under the table and carry on mm. um, I think that you probably see them lacking a bit of energy there and it could be the same against us on uh, this coming Sunday it's a heck of a schedule that UEFA put together how you play yeah. <laughs> four consecutive Thursdays um, yeah. to reach the Europa League group stage I mean seems and, and, and you know the organisation for Burnley fans to try and get to Olympiacos in a week is yeah, is quite mad. Yeah, it's hard. But, you know, those those away days in Europe bring some of the best memories we've, you know, have had as yep. Fulham fans. So I imagine that Burnley fans, yes, it's stressful and yes, it's expensive, but I imagine they're strapped in and enjoying the ride more than anything else. You know, it's not every day that you know clubs like Fulham Burnley get to get to these European adventures and you have to make the most of what you what you've got and I think that they'll be doing that. Okay, well, let's get a Burnley perspective on affairs. Uh, I spoke to Natalie Bromley uh, and asked her whether she thinks that Burnley's European exploits will be a major factor on Sunday. Who knows? I mean, it's a difficult question to answer. I think we seem to be embroiled in an early season debate with everybody at the moment. Um, oh, Burnley's European adventure is going to see them relegated. They've not got the squad to cope, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm kind of bored of having to defend it already. And we're only three weeks in. Um, you guys will appreciate this as much as we will. We're, we're all fundamentally championship size. You just, you guys have just come up, and it's not that long ago since we were in the championship. And you're used to playing Saturday, Tuesday every week, and there's that relentless um, run of fixtures. So in that sense, we've got a lot of players who are used to playing that championship style of football. Now, there is the travel that you've got to think about, but that is only every other week. It's not like that's every single week. And Deitch has been squad rotating, so... The, the players who are playing in the Europa League aren't the ones who are playing in the Premier League at the moment. So you sh- that that taking all of that into consideration, we shouldn't see any effect whatsoever. That said, 
who knows? You know, we had a bit of a difficult game on Saturday where for some reason we looked really out of sorts in the second half. Um, and then on top of that, we're playing um, a newly promoted side who've still got the enthusiasm. And you know, I know you've had a difficult start to the season, but you have still got that enthusiasm of being a newly promoted side. And you've got that bounce of a home support who are, you know, just getting used to Premier League football again down at, down at the cottage. So I, I genuinely, I keep flitting in my head between oh, we're going to get beat or actually you know we could win I honestly don't know um, obviously Burnley and their defensive record is well known uh, how does Dyche like to set up is he going to look to frustrate Fulham a little bit on Sunday by you know I think it's inevitable that we're going to have probably a bit more of the ball with our passing style of football um, but you've come up against lots of uh, very attractive sides and, and managed to stifle them and, and nick a lot of points last season so it's a tried and trusted recipe really for Dyche isn't it yeah, it definitely is. And to be honest, that's our favourite method. Um, in some respects, if you want to beat Burnley, you almost have to give us the ball because we aren't a side that is particularly comfortable when we've got a huge amount of possession. We, we are very, very comfortable off the ball. And some of the, the games that we won last season comfortably, we had maybe 25, 30% of possession. We're quite fine with that. Um, you know, because we can defend very well. It's a massive strong point of our side is that you will struggle apart from Watford, who uh, seem to be th throwing goals left, right and centre. Um, standard games, you do struggle to, to score against us. So Burnley will absolutely set up, especially away from home, um, to just lock out any chances, deal with balls well and just try to nick a couple of, of goals on the break. How's Joe Hart looking? Uh, you seem to have three... Uh, very experienced English goalkeepers uh, amongst your <laughs> ranks. You're kind of blessed with goalkeepers at the moment. There's been lots of debate about him in the last couple of years. Lost his England place, of course. But he's been largely impressive, especially in the European ties, from what I've seen. It's been impressive, full stop. I mean, yeah, Dutch is getting a little bit greedy at the moment and seems to be collecting England goalkeepers. We've got three-fifths of the current roster on our on our books. But let's be, you know, whilst on paper it looks like it's a, a strange signing, um, Nick Pope's out probably till at least January, we would have thought, with a dislocated shoulder, which is a very weird thing to happen to us two seasons running. Um, Tom Heaton is now on the bench. He's back in the side, but he has taken a, a bit of a setback from recovery from his shoulder with a calf strain. And he's not played a competitive game now for 12 months. So um, Dyche clearly felt that he needed some kind of cover in that uh, in that area. And, and Joe Hart has had an awful couple of years in terms of confidence blows and bad PR. But you can't... You just can't hide from the fact that he's a quality keeper. He's got, what, 75 caps for England. Um, he's got maybe three, as he, golden gloves in the Premier League. You know, he's a quality keeper. And, and if anybody can get him back on track and get his career uh, and his confidence back up there, then Sean Dyche and Billy Mercer can. Billy Mercer's been with him, what, four weeks now and has already turned him into, um, a, you know, a, a confidence player and one who looks like he's, he's got the weight of the world lifted off his shoulders. And actually, Hart was quite unfortunate to concede three on, on Sunday because, um, you know, his defence let him down rather than him. And there wasn't an awful lot that he could do about any of them. What has been your thoughts as a Burnley fan seeing Fulham and Wolves and the way they've approached coming up to the Premier League this season? Because we kind of know the model that Burnley have used since coming up. Uh, Dyche is trusted a lot of the squad that, that got you to this level and it's been so successful uh, more successful than I think anyone could have possibly imagined and we've kind of come in and really splashed the cash as have Wolves do you think that maybe it's not the right way to try and succeed at this level to make so many changes so soon um to be honest, I'm not sure there's a blueprint for that. I'm not sure that there is a tried and tested method. I think it's specific to every single club. Um, Burnley, we're never, ever going to be able to splash the cash because we don't have the off-field investment that a lot of our competitors do have. So our sole um, income stream is from television rights from the Premier League. So we, we know what our budget's going to be. And we also know that we can't really compete with wages off the field. Now, yourselves and Wolves have obviously got very uh, wealthy owners who are prepared to invest in the club. And that's fantastic fantastic um but it, i think it's there's just so many factors to decide whether or not that's the right approach to make and it depends on stability of your club and whether or not that's going to trouble you when you go down it's down to the style of your manager you know does your manager like playing with a small squad does he like squad rotation does he like um variety you know and also does your team operate with like say one big superstar and, and lots of, of players around them Burnley have not a team of superstars. We are a team of, of grafters and, and everybody's at a similar skill level, um, but they work very well together as a team. Now, 
we do ask a lot of our players. Now, some seasons that works really well. Look at last season, well, the last two seasons, we've survived and then we, we finished seventh. At some point, that may very well catch up with us and we might see ourselves falling out of the Premier League and back to the Championship. So I, I don't like to cast judgment on, on whether or not what Wolves and, and Fulham are doing is the right thing to do because it's, it's if it's the right thing, thing for them, it is the right thing for them. And, and you know, you can, you can spend all that money and still get relegated or you can spend all that money and thrive in the, the division. I, I, just, I, don't, I just don't think there's an answer. I guess the only question mark that I would raise is um, making so many changes and both of you have, will your teams have time to gel um, as quickly as they need to and perform as a unit because in this league you can't really afford a slow start um, now you're not too bad at the moment in that you've played some teams that you probably wouldn't have expected to take points off anyway so they're kind of free passes but if you look at this division you take away the top seven sides there's what there's not, there's 13 fixtures left 13 seven no, 12 fixtures left 12 home fixtures um, that you you need to look to get points from and, and ideally win um, and that only gets you what 30 36 points and then you've got to get some more away points anyway. So um, you can't afford to bedding slowly. You've got to get those players gelling quickly and getting some points on the board. So that would be, if, if that was Burnley and we went on a massive spending spree, that would be my concern. But who knows? Who knows? Hey, tells a caution. You've done very, very well to survive in <laughs> what's a very, very competitive Premier League these days. I think a lot has changed for Fulham uh, since the last time we were here. It feels like a completely different place only in uh, four seasons. OK, which of the Burnley players then that we need to keep a close eye out for then maybe going forward? Uh, Chris Wood just kind of always seems to get in the end of things and bag important goals as well as, you know, uh, the tally that he manages to get. Aaron Lennon uh, still got a bit of pace down the right-hand side and uh, yeah. everyone raves about Goodmanson. Who who do you think, though, uh, we should be looking out for? Well, I think, as I've already mentioned, we're not, we don't have a team that has a standout superstar. So I don't think there's, there's particularly names that you need to be aware of. Um, if you look at the back five as, as a whole unit, Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky at centre-half, um, if they don't have the lapsing concentration they had on in the second half against Watford on Sunday, they're very, very difficult to get balls past. So, you know, you, you're going to have to be on your, your real um, best game to try and get something through them. Um, we're not really a side that's known for its creativity. We're more of a, you know, we do play quite direct um, football. We get it up to our, um, if we play 4-5-1, I expect Chris, Chris Wood to play up front in his own and he is really dangerous. Um, in terms of creativity, yeah, our two wingers, um, Good Munson and Lennon, are playing really well. Good Munson's just an absolutely fantastic signing. Um, is an exciting player and he can really pull something out of the bag. So if you're going to look out for anybody, I'd say maybe him. But I'd just be cautious of the whole team and, and cautious of the discipline and the stability that that team has because you're going to struggle to break us down. Uh, what are your memories uh, of Craven Cottage? I think generally Fulham had quite a good record against Burnley, but of course you've got a very, very important win in your promotion yeah. season um, down there. I always remember uh, the 3-0 uh, back in 2010, which is your first time in the Premier League, uh, mostly because a very obscure Fulham player called David Elm scored that day and uh, yes. it, was his only goal, it was his only goal for Fulham so it's always kind of one of those trivia facts uh, for oh, Fulham fans but yeah what are your memories of, of Craven Cottage? Uh, like I say I, I've always had fond memories of Craven Cottage it's a lovely ground and Fulham fans are just nice you know it's one of those I think most of us in the football world can probably take a look at a selection of, of teams and think well I've just I've got no beef with them at all you know they're a nice club they you know and at Wolves I, I would put the same thing as well the fans are always nice and, and Fulham are always just Nice, normal fans. They'll have a bit of competitive edge with you, but then it's not nasty. It's always a nice day out. Um, so, yeah, and we've always been made, made to feel very welcome when we've gone down to the cottage, so I'm quite happy with that. Um, yeah, my favourite memory is, like I say, that, that promotion year when we... Uh, oh God, when I think the Ben Mee chant came out of that, and it was such an important win for us, and it really set us up for, for promotion that year. So... Um, it, it's you know the, the Burnley Fulham fixture is probably exactly what you would expect it to be. There's there's nothing really that stands out because it's just a nice day out and a nice game, friendly, competitive game between two sets of fans who get along fine and 
and appreciate what each of them are trying to do. So I'm I'm really pleased that you're back in the Premier League, actually. I think you'd be a really good addition this year. Well, I imagine when our uh, reverse fixture comes around, uh, I think it's in January, uh, no doubt we'll be discussing Fulham's terrible record uh, at Turf Moor. No, I think it's, we, I think, oh, we won't. It'll be fine. I think it's one of the worst <laughs> records. on the board by then. It'll be fine. <laughs> I think it's one of our worst records at the worst, worst stadiums. Um, okay, right, your prediction for the game. It's going to be tough three days after coming back from Athens. I know you said, well, you're bored of talking about it, but I definitely know from when we were in the Europa League and we had mad trips to Russia and to Lithuania, it was always quite tricky to come back and get a result uh, on the Sunday. So so what are your thoughts uh, Saturday, uh, Sorry, on Sunday? I think it's going to be a really close game. And I, I, I suspect that, um, like I say, away at Athens, Darch will rest a lot of these players. Um, and I, I suspect that the key players for Sunday's game... Yeah, Oh, yeah, no, he's rested them so far in, in, the, in the Europa League. Um, you know, there was only, th- I think, three players who played against Istanbul who ended up playing against Watford on Sunday. So we are playing um, a secondary side in the Europa League to try and preserve that um, Premier League status so um most of the team most of the players who play on sunday will not have played on thursday and um, so they should be rested and I, I fully suspect actually that a lot of the key players for sunday actually won't travel just to get that rest and that they're not that they are well prepared they'll probably stay at home i would have thought and actually prepare for sunday with uh, with some of, of uh, Darch's coaching staff so it'll be fine um i, I suspect it'd be a close i mean you guys score quite a lot of decent goals so I'm not expecting us to keep a clean sheet, but I do think we'll score. So I'm going to go with an optimistic draw. I think one apiece, I think, would be a a fantastic result for us, and I'd be very happy with that. Um, Yeah, I think it's going to be a close game, I think. Well, I wish you all the best uh, on Thursday and also in the Olympiacos game after that because some of my happiest memories, probably all my happiest memories uh, of supporting Fulham are basically uh, those couple of seasons when we got into Europe. It is just the best thing and it is nice to see a club kind of enjoying their first European tour in such a long time. So do wish you the best uh, on Thursday in Athens, but uh, not the best uh, on Sunday. But uh, (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) uh, But Natalie, uh, make sure if you're a Burnley fan or you know any Burnley fans, they check out the No Nay Never podcast. It's pretty much the number one go-to place as far as I can see uh, for Burnley content. So make sure you check it out. Natalie, thank you for talking to Fulmish. Thank you. Bye, guys. She said, do you love me? I tell her only partly. I only loved him. Remember at Target. I'm sorry. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast and on Monday's pod you might remember that we went into some detail about ticket prices and some of the recent uh, ticket hikes in the Premier League, £45 for Bournemouth tickets and the like and it, it was an interesting debate between myself, Jack, Dom uh, and also Ben who was on the podcast with us but uh, we've got the opinion now uh, of two different fans on kind of both sides uh, of that argument. First of all, uh, I've got Chris Smith. How are you doing, Chris? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Thank you. Yourself? Yes, very good. Thank you. Also got Michael Cox on the line. You all good, Michael? Yes, all good, mate. You? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Cheers for joining me, gents. Now, the reason I've got you two on the line is, uh, well, the tweets you sent in were of slightly differing opinions, and uh, that's what we're all about on the podcast. So I kind of wanted to get both points of view. Uh, I'll start with you, Chris. You're kind of more on the side of uh, thinking that these price rises, these individual match tickets uh, are extremely high. What kind of impact is that going to have on you attending Fulham games this season? Um, I think it's, it's definitely going to make it a lot more difficult. Um, it'll make it a lot more difficult for fans that don't live in London necessarily because you don't just have to worry about match ticket prices, you've got to worry about travel. Um, and I, I don't live relatively far away from London. Unfortunately, I live in Reading. Um, but, but the ticket prices itself, you add an extra 30 quid in terms of train. Um, it just becomes much more expensive, especially having a young family as well. Uh, it's just hard to ju- harder to justify those kinds of prices, especially for games like Watford and Bournemouth. You could, you don't mind paying the big money to watch your teams play the big boys, but paying forty five pounds for to watch Watford isn't isn't something that I seem necessary. So, so Michael, you're more on the camp of thinking, well, if if the seats are filled, if if we have a full stadium, then the club are fully justified in their prices. But kind of at what cost is that? Is that a fair statement? To be fair, yeah, that is the exact thing. If, if, if every game we're full up, 
then I can't see why the club would do anything other than charge the price they charge. I think for the ideal world for the club, there'd be the exact capacity would be the amount of fans that want tickets and they charge them whatever they want. When you spend 100 million, the ticket price is going to go up. I do appreciate that it costs quite a bit and I also live a similar distance outside of London. I live in Kent, but that's not... That's not the club's issue. That's that's mine and Chris's issue, which obviously, yeah, it does, it does add to the bill. Um, with regard to people having young families, I think, to be fair to the club, they do offer a slightly cheaper zone in the family bill where you can go with kids where the tickets are cheaper. The Watford one's going to be a big game because if that game, if that game sells out, they'll sell out any game this season. Because no disrespect to Watford, that's, that at 12.30 when on TV has got to be the least attractive fixture to go and pay the money to go to. I do appreciate that it's high, but if you're that big a fan and you want to go that much, you'd have had a season ticket anyway, and now you're just paying the price. I myself haven't got a season ticket. In hindsight, I wish I'd got it when they was cheaper, but that's just the price that we're going to have to pay now. And But the level of football is so much better and it justifies it. Even that Palace game, I thought the way we played against Palace is better than we've played for the last four seasons, and the way Palace played is better than anything I've seen from an opponent the last four seasons, and that's why it justifies the price increase. I mean, Chris, uh, it's kind of a fair point there. What would you prefer? Would you prefer less investment on the pitch uh, if that meant cheaper ticket prices for you? What What would you kind of prefer if you had to make a choice of one or the other? Um, I would. I would. I don't think that that's necessarily a give or take, especially with you know if you, if you look at Mr. Khan making an eight hundred million pound bids on Wembley, um, the club doesn't necessarily need the money. I wouldn't say. Um, I think that, especially for the first season back in the Premier League as well, you know, the fans were so important in the push for promotion. I feel like uh, isolating certain members that probably can't afford those ticket price increases and not allowing them to share the rewards of all the hard work that we've put in over the past two seasons is a little bit unfair. Um, I also think that the season ticket prices are going to increase again next year for people that are outstanding season ticket holders. And then I think that they all may have a difficulty buying season tickets again next season. So I feel like we don't necessarily need to increase the prices that much. Michael, what would your thoughts be if next season's season ticket prices, even with early birds and all that, matched some of the prices that we saw uh, come on sale after the playoffs? Would you still be kind of in support of the club charging whatever they want? Surely there's got to be some sort of limit to what they can charge. Well, I guess from their point of view, like, and like, if people are going to pay it, it's like basic business supply and demand. If people are going to pay it, they're going to charge it. Um, with regard to Khan's money and how much money he's got, I'm very, very naive on the financial fair play, but I'm, I may well be wrong, but does the amount of money we take in ticket turnover or anything have an effect on how much we can spend on players? Uh, it I, does, I may yes. well be completely off the market there, but that may then in turn be why they're thinking, well, do you know what? We've got to chuck these up by 100, 100 200 quid each season ticket because we're going to sell the same amount but it means that long-term we can invest more money in wages and players. Part of me would genuinely, rather it was cheaper and we're in the championship, but I guess I'd still just maintain it's the price you pay. But yeah, there are there are obviously limits, because I'm not absolutely minted. I, I will be going to less games because of this, but because of the pricing structure. But all the while that we're selling out or nearing selling out, I completely see why the club doing it from a business perspective. I fully understand why they do that. But does then that not take the game out of the kind of average Fulham fans, the fans that have been there kind of through the playoff campaign back down into the championship and effectively will become another Chelsea where the only people that can afford a ticket legitimately are Premier League tourists and, and day trippers? Yeah, that is a good point. And also my, my view on that will, will change if... Basically, what I feel is that the price... The, the cheaper season tickets that were bought before we secure promotion or even, like or anything... I would like those to remain as they are because they're the fans who are buying the season tickets regardless of where the club is. I have no issue with fresh season ticket holders being charged more because they're buying it because of the leagues that we're in. Like they're, buying, they're coming to watch the opponents as much as they are coming to watch Fulham. Whereas you have some season ticket holders, a lot of who I know, who would get a season ticket whether we were Premier League or National League. And they are the ones, I feel personally, should get it cheaper. But someone like myself, because personally, I'm more likely to get it if we're in the Premier League because I want to see a, a higher level of football and therefore I should pay more than someone else, like even people on your show like Dom, who I imagine would go no matter what. He sh I think he should be the one who's rewarding people like that, as opposed to people like me. And as Chris said, doesn't mind paying it for the big boys. Well, if you come to watch the opponents, therefore you should almost be charged more than someone who genuinely comes to watch Fulham 
and the opponent is secondary. Yeah, Chris, that was actually my, my next point. You mentioned about that you'd be willing to pay more for big matches, but, but some people would say that I come to watch Fulham no matter who the opponent is, whether it's Exeter City in the Cup or whether it's Man United in the league. Do, do you really think that you are more happy to pay over £50 if it's a Chelsea, Man United, Man City? I'm not saying that I'd be happier to pay it. I'd say there's more of a justification for the club charging that much money. Um, I thought that the, I thought that the pricing was very fair for the for the cup game, which was quite surprising. I thought that well, that's going to be at least twenty quid in, in it there, um, but they charged quite fairly for that. But I think that they can then turn around and say, right, we're playing the champions of England. It's going to be more of a premium price. I'm not saying that I'd be happier with it. I think that probably it should go on categories though instead of a flat fee across all of the tickets. Michael, do you think it seems a little bit ridiculous this situation where we have um, that in one part of the Putney end, your pay away fans are paying £30 and then, you know, almost the exact same ticket uh, just further along the stand is, is over 50 It seems a little bit nuts that the Premier League has almost created a bit of a inverse problem for itself. Yeah, it, it, it has. I, I definitely take the point there. There is a bit. Yeah, I know what you mean. It does seem odd that the ex, almost an identical view of the same football match will, will cost someone twice what it costs someone else. But that's so. That's the league's policy is doing that to treat away fans. Whether they'll bring something in to treat home fans is fine. Another point I'd like to make is I don't really see people who are. For me, the only thing you can moan about is the price of the cheapest ticket as opposed to most expensive. I saw, not saying Chris is one of them, but I saw a lot of people moaning about how expensive tickets were, for example, in the Riverside stand when they're cheaper and past the Johnny Haynes. For me, if, if you, like, don't moan about having a particularly good view. If you come to watch the game, go for the cheapest. If money's an issue, go for the cheapest ticket. Absolutely. Like, with, with that, without question, as I'm sure, well, as it sounds like Chris agrees. Because that, that was my issue with Absolutely. a lot of people saying, oh, season ticket in the Riverside is costing me 900. Think, well, go and sit in Hampshire for it's 400. Mm. Or 500. Okay, well, chaps, um, it was really interesting just quickly kind of getting the views of both of you here. And uh, I hope that uh, for both of you, you can get to as many games as possible this season. Sounds like you are actually in remarkably similar circumstances, if slightly different, differing on your opinions. So uh, in that way, I've, I've enjoyed... Glass really glass half full. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> um, chaps, really enjoyed chatting to you. Chris, thank you for taking the time out. No worries. Thank you very much. Uh, and Michael, likewise, um, have a good day, mate. No problem at all. Cheers. So, Archie, thank you so much for joining us. Obviously, the main topic of debate this week on the podcast has been the kind of ticket prices around the club. Not so much season ticket prices, but everyday match fees. And first of all, I suppose the, the first thing was to, to get your sort of opinion on it and, and see what your opening kind of gambit of thoughts were. I think that ticket prices in England generally have been uh, an obscene level. Uh, for quite for, for quite some time, um, and I think that you've seen campaigns like the Twenties Plenty from the Football Supporters Federation, which have been successful in terms of reducing it at a Premier League level, um, in terms of capping it at thirty pounds, which I think is is the upper limit um, of of acceptable. Uh, I don't think that, for example, that I've heard some voices saying that. Okay, what? So are we expected to now just get free tickets and that? And I, I, I don't think that's what anyone's saying in this. And look, I, I need to iterate that I've just become a, a board member of the Fulham Supporters Trust. I don't in any way speak for them or on behalf of them when I say this, but you really need to look at how you want to be valued. Do you want to be valued as a supporter and a fan of a football club? Or do you want to be seen as a customer? And the more that you pay the more likely that clubs will only listen to you in terms of being a customer. And I don't think that that's a healthy relationship to, to have in terms of being a, a fan of, of a club because it just means that further on down the line, the clubs will feel that they can do anything they like with you when actually fans are the lifeblood and needs to be the lifeblood of every football club because look what happens in situations like Blackpool, Charlton, Portsmouth, you could go on. Coventry City. It, it's a very worrying uh, trend when you see supporters being treated like customers. Yeah, of course. I think something that maybe we haven't discussed as much over the course of you know the, the discussion we've had so far, the debate we've had so far, is the idea that there is some money going back into the pot of the signings that we've made this summer. And obviously, we're all aware that you know the money for getting promoted and the money when you get into the Premier League is is so high. 
But ultimately, you know, we got a question from Matthew Belsito on, on, in an email, basically saying that he thought it was interesting that no one mentioned the fact that 100 million was spent this summer. And as much as everyone wants to keep the sport pure, it's still a business. It'd be one thing if they hadn't shown any commitment, but considering they were and they have done across the course of, you know, the, the summer, how that kind of affects your view on, on how this works or if that has no real, you know, effect on it at all. I just don't think that match day income plays a significant enough role to to encourage that sort of increase. And and you look at the fact of how much the worst club in the Premier League last season took in in terms of TV rights, £96 million if you add it all up together. And look, I think that on, on the one hand, you need to praise the generosity with which Shahid Khan has, has funded Fulham because also let, let's not forget that when Mohamed Al-Fayed left the club, there was a significant amount of debt that needed to be cleared. Um, and I think that, OK, the, the, the summer outlay has been impressive, but I, how, how necessary it is, I don't know. Um, I think that it, it doesn't necessarily say to me that, OK, therefore you can, you can pump up ticket prices in that way because it, it's a dangerous trend to set. What kind of fans are you encouraging coming into the coming into the stadium then are you encouraging people who are just there for the good times because in my eyes you are you're creating a divide between season ticket holders who i think should not be paying necessarily uh, more per match than than people who are coming into the stadium on a on a match day basis i, I agree with um with one sport whose name uh, uh briefly bypasses me in this moment as has said but I, I think at the same time you have to very much worry when Chelsea are just down the road. And I actually do sympathise a little bit with what Chelsea fans have gone through, um, as, as, as strange as that may sound. Um, yeah. Because ultimately, th there needs to be more solidarity between football fans over this. It's not a whole debate where kind of my club's better than your club. It needs to be better for all supporters. And, and the, my worry is, I, I have a cousin, for example, who is a Chelsea fan, sadly. Um, it's a shame, and it, it is. Um, and he went to the Fulham against Derby game uh, in, in the playoffs. And I remember him saying we, uh, he can't remember having an atmosphere like that at Chelsea. And I mean, we didn't even sell out the Derby home game, if I, if I remember correctly. But I worry about a hollow, soulless stadium. And I mean, look, it, I, I'd be kidding you if... I think we'd be kidding ourselves if, if, if we were to say that Craven Cottage rocks on a regular basis. Um, yeah. It doesn't. Um, but... To, to give the chances of it being a slightly uh, of an enhanced atmosphere, I think that you need to have a, a cheaper ticketing policy because I, I would almost encourage, I, I, would, I would be happier seeing more expensive shirts, for example, because the most important thing is that on a match day, the team is getting as, as good a support as possible. And I think you see that the more you charge for ticket prices, the more you get people who come in and, and view it as an experience and that they're there to be entertained because you only have to go to the Emirates. Look how quiet that stadium is. That's yeah. not a dig at Arsenal fans. That's a dig at the way that their club has been run. Is that Listen to Arsenal fans as well when they go away from home. Their fans are excellent. Um, but those are the hardcore, for example. So, yeah. On that note, I suppose, one of the things that we, we've noticed, you know, going away from home and something we've brought up on the podcast before is the kind of idea that Fulham's away following has become much, much more youthful in recent years. And that's, again, not a dig at older fans or anything like that. It just seems to have been an injection of younger fans who have started going to more away games, following the club away, you know, during the championship years. And that in itself brings a kind of atmosphere because people are more likely to, you know, get up for you know i suppose for you know making a making a din basically which is kind of what you want on an away day do you worry that these kind of prices freeze out that generation and then in doing so make you know change the way that fulham is supported at home and away and, and that therefore affects the atmosphere at craven cottage absolutely the younger fans the younger generation of fans are incredibly important to to the way that the club goes on and having fans who go home and away is 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 also very much the lifeblood of, of any club. I think that right now it, 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 it's just so worrying to see kind of fans getting priced out. I've, I've read an email from, from one fan, for example, who was saying that if prices continue going in, in the direction they're going, then they're not going to be able to continue taking their kids to the football. 
um, yeah. which is it, it's. I mean, you, you hear people kind of complaining about certain um, certain facets of the match day and whatnot, and and I get that, but I think that it, it needs to be channeled towards kind of more of a single issue debate here yeah. in terms of looking at what is the most important aspect and i would say that the ticketing in that way kind of like you you need your don bets of this world um, of who are who are going to uh, i mean i shouldn't encourage him um <laughs> so, <laughs> but but you need those people because who is going to be there supporting the club on on a cold tuesday night in stoke i think one thing i'd like to see from the club is in, in the future, something in terms of going, OK, look, it's all very well and good saying we're putting in this money towards sports club. We're being ambitious. But ambitious towards what would be my question? Because it's Fulham at the same time. As much as you, you can say we want to have a good season, what does that mean? Ultimately, I think that the upper limits of what the club can achieve is becoming Southampton um, in their in their best years in terms of a club that can kind of sit on the fringes of the top six because the amount of money that you have to spend and the, the size of the club, the infrastructure you have to be to continually do that is huge. And Fulham aren't going to grow to that. And I think part of what keeps the club something being something very special is, is having that traditional aspect to it yeah. and having that, that homeliness to it and, and that community. The more you pump up ticket prices, the less the less chance you have of forming a community because are people going to be able to afford to come every week? I don't think so. Um, so I think it, it's all very well and good saying, you know, our aim is, is, is to is to really give the premiership a go. I've, the premiership, it's, it's not been called the premiership for, for bloody uh, 15 years, years or so. Yeah. The Premier League, I've fallen into the trap of my dad. The that, that's how much time I've been spending with him, Jesus. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's important that I think fans know where where the club is going because also otherwise it sets a it, 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 it could set a worrying trend in terms of expectations I think most most supporters know that success this season would be staying up yes um, because even even if there has been a hundred million pound outlay over the summer that that doesn't necessarily command you success um, you, you have to kind of date back over lots of years and also you're deluding yourself if you don't think that if these players play well at the end of the season that they're not going to ship off to somewhere else um, which I think is, is very clearly the club's plan which I think is, is a clever one and, and should be applauded but at, at the same time I, I still don't see see that how, how how that gives you the right to I guess um, pump supporters in that fashion. Yeah, of course. I just wanted to touch on. Obviously, you're in Cologne, as we heard from those wonderful bells earlier in the conversation. <laughs> and but also, you specialise in German football, and, and you know a lot about the way that it works. And you know, German football is often heralded as the model that a lot of fans would like to see English football work towards. In, in many ways, not in every way, but in many mm. ways, and especially from a supporter's kind of point of view in terms of the way that they treat their fans uh, i just wanted to know kind of what your thoughts were in general on, on, on that kind of model and how that might be applied in future german football is obviously very different because you have club owned clubs owned by their fans yeah for the majority here and therefore if they don't like a club president then come the agm they can vote him out um because they don't think that he's doing the right thing they get to have that little bit more influence. What you won't necessarily have seen, because I think German football is always presented as being this land of milk and honey the whole time, um, yeah. is that matchday tickets are more expensive if you want to go to Borussia Dortmund, for example. I remember paying 60 euros to go watch uh, their derby game against Schalke once upon a time. It's not like you, you have to know somebody who's standing on on the famous South Stand at Dortmund if you want to try and get a 15-euro ticket. Yeah. Um, so I think that the thing to take away from German football is how there is this amazing connection between the fans and, and the clubs. But when you have something as advantageous as the clubs being owned by the fans for the most part, then yeah. that's always going to that's, that's be a benefit. I think I, I would add in terms of with Fulham, you, you need to consider... Yeah individual circumstances as well that, that there's lots of things coming up like the like the fact that uh Shad khan has 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 pledged to invest in a new riverside stand and, and that and that will cost money as well i think it's just harder to stomach particularly in the premier league where 
I mean, the money is so much greater than in the Bundesliga, for example, in terms of those those TV rights. When the owner of the football club is spending 700 million, supposedly, on on buying the new Wembley and that, and therefore, is is it, is it too much to stomach that that fans can pay 30 pounds instead of 45 pounds yeah. for a Premier League game? I think the fact that it's against Bournemouth as well and Watford and Burnley, f- fans are not fans are not stupid. Kind of those are, those are not big games. Kind yeah, of. Yeah. If, if it was if it was Chelsea, I think people would go. Okay, but I mean, it, it it sets a worrying precursor in terms of, of what Chelsea will be priced at um, as well. So, yeah, to, to a roundabout kind of come back to the point, yeah. um, German football, for, for the fans who have been there for 20 years or so, it's a lot more generously priced. Um, but still, in terms of it, it has its own problems that it's going through right now. There's a big dispute between the German FA, the German Football League, the DFL, so the Bundesliga, um, and lots of fan groups about the way that football is going here. They're protesting wildly about there being Monday night games for a start. They're very unhappy about that. that about that. There was a huge tennis ball protest that you might have seen yeah. uh, in February when Eintracht Frankfurt played against RB Leipzig. Um, so I would expect those kind of things to continue. And there's just not that there's just not that kind of culture, I think, in England where people are willing to to really protest and, and stand up to that kind of thing. All, all too rarely, I think, you can remember the Liverpool example where they all left 10 minutes before the end of that game against Sunderland a few years ago to protest and that. But otherwise, I, I think maybe, maybe that's a problem as well is that I still think there's this kind of slight Englishness of how much are we able to kind of stomach or this, this kind of stiff upper lip mentality. I'm sure people will challenge me on that, but I just, I, I don't I don't see kind of these issues being kind of attacked head on in England. So I think that, you know, generally having these debates, talking about these things, raising the issues, and obviously when the FST do eventually go to the club and when that meeting happens about these kind of things, that that can be raised, that's obviously all good positive steps for everyone involved. Mm -hmm. In terms of, you know, the wider fan base, though, is there anything that people can, you know, do or moves that people can make that, you know, really sort of can push the issue or force the issue a little bit more, at least, in this kind of regard? Ultimately... If you care about the issue and you want to pay less for your ticket prices, then you need to engage with the club and you need to engage with the supporters trust because there is a line of communication there with the club. And, and that is the way to do it. If you uh, if you simply just say something on Twitter, uh, sure, sure, the club may pick on that, pick up on that indirectly. But I mean, it, it's not going to be as effective. You need to be. You need to be pressuring, and I, and I mean that in a positive way because I think we're very fortunate to have a lot of incredible people who work for the club. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean that in terms of there, there are people at the club like Mark Maunders, for example, the player liaison uh, manager, who, who I've never met. But if you if you talk to anyone around Fulham, he is he is somebody, for example, that really forms a fabric of the club who has been there for over 15 years and whatnot. I know, I know it's actually longer than that, but yeah. the, 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 these people form the very fabric of the club and that. But when I say, when I say pressuring, I, I mean that it's about, about saying, look, we see this is happening and we want to continue supporting the club, but the more that the ticket prices go up, for example, the more difficult that becomes. So I think, I think just being able to to air your views um, in, in a constructive way. It's not about shouting people down. I don't, I don't think that anyone has ever really persuaded anyone effectively um, by, by shouting at them yeah, necessarily. Yeah, um, and indeed, I don't think that, well, whilst I, I don't like to use the phrase the Fulham way because it, it, gives a, uh, it gives a West Ham feel to it and I feel that there's That's a certain entitlement. The no, no, exactly. And, and, and entitlement is one thing that... that should not be running through any fan base I think um, but I, I think that it, it's important to still represent your opinion um, in, in the best way possible so I look personally and I can only speak for myself as I've said before in terms of on behalf of not on behalf of, of, of the supporters trust if you have qualms about about tickets and that I want to hear from people um, because that way in, in my role I can better represent um, the fans and I think if you're a member of the supporters trust that that will only hope th- that will only help things as well um, because the greater the engagement the 
greater the chance that your opinions will be heard by the club and the club do listen as well. Yeah. Um, that That is worth saying. And, and boy, is that a privilege that fans should not underestimate with these examples of Blackpool, Portsmouth, Coventry, Charlton, if we look a little bit closer to home, that, that is a real privilege. And even at a Premier League level, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to air your view. And I think that that's something that needs to be done. Indeed. Well, thank you so much for your time, expertise and all of those things, Archie. And we look forward to hearing again from you soon and to seeing you soon. Not at all, Jack. Cheers. Hello, I am Brad Hangeland. And when I'm not rubbing my thigh with cheese, I'm listening to the Fulhamish podcast. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Jack Collins Hello, and Ben Jarman. Hello. So, an interesting, an emotive episode as well. More the ticket prices stuff than the Burnley preview. Uh, hey, truth be told, speak for yourself. it's a, it's it's a subject that you know really gets fans talking, and um, there's there's real differing opinion when it comes to ticket prices. And it, it, to a point, there kind of is no right or wrong answer. You know, clubs do have to charge money. They're businesses at the end of the day, but football fans aren't normal customers either at the same time so there's always this middle ground has to be found it seems at the moment that maybe the the dial isn't sitting in the middle when it comes to individual home tickets and i think that's generally what we've picked up from those interviews and look, the club may or may not interact with this we don't know but i think it's our job to discuss these issues which are at the heart of the fan base yeah 100 percent. it's very much something that we need to be discussing because it's a there's obviously a debate around it and if there's a debate around it and a discussion to be had then that needs to be given the airtime that it deserves and hopefully you know i don't know if people are listening to this from the club or if they're not but hopefully some something of this debate will get back to the fan to the club in terms of us raising it if nothing else that we can open a dialogue and if it's the fst you know like archie was saying that that managed to raise that dialogue and get people talking then all the better for it so Fulhamish will return next week to give our reaction to the Burnley game. We're not exactly sure when the podcast is going to be landing. Back holiday Monday always kind of makes it tricky because Monday is our day of recording. But somehow, somewhere, we will deliver a podcast. Uh, there'll also be a full time uh, on YouTube uh, with us giving some instant reaction to the Burnley game. And as ever, Jack Kelly will be back with the fan cams, which are proving immensely popular on the YouTube channel and uh, plenty of you got involved after the Spurs game hopefully even more of you uh, can give your thoughts after the Burnley game outside Craven Cottage as well so uh, make sure you subscribe to that YouTube channel I keep banging on about it hit the subscribe button we want to get to a thousand and we're not there yet and until we get there I will not rest and then we'll keep banging on until we get to two thousand well yeah that that, (laughs) such is life Um, Ben Jarman thank you very much thank you very much Sammy and Jack Jack Collins thank you very much thank you both Uh, Have a great weekend. Hopefully the football makes it better, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.